Alex. Hello. How are we? Good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Good to have you on the podcast. Uh, I think a good place to start would be tell us a little bit about, about you, your history, and I guess how you got into the whole recruitment world. So I can't even remember how long ago it was. Is that long? But 15, 16 years ago, um, I left university to start a property company, 2008, 2009. Bad timing. Yeah. Good idea though. It was, uh, I basically negotiated with um, a very large student organization to get their database back way before GDPR existed. So I kind of had wangled it being the biggest and best student discount you'll get. And we got seven years back worth of database. So it was great, but it was all to negotiate money off of new builds. So people could basically buy new builds at a discounted rate. Great until the proverbial dropped out of that market. And, um, and yeah, I was, I had six months, to be honest, of feeling pretty sorry for myself because I decided at that point by the age of sort of 25, I was going to be a multimillionaire living this sort of lavish lifestyle um, that turned out to be complete nonsense, of course. I'm still not living that lifestyle. Um, but yeah, the, was went to a Samaritan's do, a, a family friend had a, a, a big sort of big role in, with the Samaritans raising money for it and was just selling raffle tickets. And he said, oh, you, you seem to quite like sales and you seem to quite enjoy it. Do you want to come and work for me? Um, so that's, that. like most people in the world of recruitment, that's kind of how I fell into it. I thought, oh, sorry, I'll just give it a go. Um, and to be honest, quite enjoyed it, quite enjoyed it. And, and when I first started and it was on the promise that he was going to step away from the business and I would, I would be able to take it over, which didn't happen. Um, but that caused me to start ALS. So I, it was kind of a reaction to not, again, pretty young at this point, so being pretty childish about it. I was like, I'm not getting my own way. Sodger, I'm going to go and do my own thing. Um, so I had a main client that that was going to, to a degree, sponsor it. I, I, and so went and worked with them and almost exclusively worked with them for 10, 11 years very successfully. So that business went from being a, a very, very small law firm to being one of the biggest and most rapidly growing law firms in the country. And I played the majority of the role in, in certainly the nice. 10 years that I was the person exclusively doing the recruitment and the whole business was built on recruitment. How long will you be, had you been doing recruitment before st starting up on four your own? Years. Okay. Three, four years, something like that. Okay. Um, and and yeah, so went went and did that for a long time. But as with with a lot of these sorts of things, when something goes from being small to big, mm. promises are made and not delivered on. And I got to the stage where I realised that I needed to go and do my own thing, which I'm sure we'll probably cover that in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, so so went and and sort of ALS 2.0, which isn't its official name, but I, I haven't got an official name for it. But we've we've changed direction now. I'm building what I plan to make the best home for talented 360 recruiters. That's that's the aim. So we're we're sort of sticking to that model and and building an environment that it makes it quite difficult for people not to want to join. And that by things like putting people at the core of it. So looking after the recruiters, giving them the best environment, most lucrative environment and all that sort of stuff. So so that's the focus now and and want to build that over the next fair few years and expand into other countries and stuff like that so that's where my focus is now um yeah. which is I've got to be honest significantly more interesting than just throwing lawyers at law firms is yeah. i enjoy work in a way that i 
probably lost my passion for it a bit. Okay. Um, and I'm, yeah, back enjoying every day now. So when you were working and putting people in the law firm, was it just you as part of ALS? Yeah, so there, there was people that occasionally would... So Rob, who's my number two in the business now, yeah. um, he was with me for a chunk of that, and then he transitioned over to the main business because he fancied doing HR. Um, uh, but for the majority of the time, it was it was me, and certainly I was the revenue, the main revenue generator okay. from it. So from ALS 2.0, you said that prior to that, you were predominantly by yourself. Yeah. But one thing you mentioned two or three times in the space of a sentence was having the right environment. Yeah. So what, what occurred to you that the environment had to be right for the guys that you were hiring? So what I'd specialised in recruiting was a very specific model in legal. So I, I discovered it way before any other recruiters, about 10 years before any other recruiters. So that the way that worked was I was taking people out of employed senior roles in law. They were moving themselves and their clients mm. to mm. this firm. In that environment, no salary, commission only basically but they got paid out of their billings but got paid a way bigger amount got more freedom more flexibility so i spent <clears throat> i spent a massive chunk of my working life working around flexible working models and putting people first so when i was looking at the world of recruitment and thinking i want to scale something i rather than look at what everyone else was doing and going right, I can go and do a commission-only environment and there's lots of those, or one of those ones where you invest and, and back people, mm -hmm. or I can just employ people like everyone else. I thought, well, hang on a minute, isn't there a middle ground where you can give people the same flexibility and, and earning potential as over there, but some of the security and the feeling part of something and everything that comes with being employed? So we've, we've in my mind, I was thinking what would I want if I was to be employed and I'm borderline unemployable but but if I were to what would the environment look like and I tried to create something for that reason mm -hmm. also to make us an attractive choice to join because if I'm playing the same game as everyone else and everyone has the same tools as I have it's gonna be a lot more difficult for me to attract someone okay. whereas if a million pound biller looks at an environment where they're paid 300 grand and they look at us and it's 700 grand potentially that's they're going to have at least a look at it aren't they they're going to mm. go what what's the difference here and then everyone always goes no salary it's got to be no salary it's like no you get a salary you get all of those things so it, it's a world that i've kind of existed in rapidly growing that that other business grew from nothing to for 400 500 lawyers in the space of 10 years so so i'm used to that sort of yeah, environment okay. where it grows quick and, and when I was first in that environment it was me and the, the two owners of that firm sat me on a beanbag them on a in fact a table almost identical to this and that was our office and, and it was sort of us against the world um, and I quite enjoy that sort of environment to be honest I okay. quite enjoy that sort of taking on far bigger players and, and seeing how you do so all of that stuff that you did over the years with the law firm, yeah, that spilled over formed, into what yeah. you're doing now. Yeah, it formed so, my view of how things should be. So you said that it's different and the environment's really important. So if I was to if I was to start with you today, what would I know you were interviewing somebody this no, morning? We had a guy who started oh, yeah, actually today. started yeah, yeah. okay. What would what would somebody expect? And let's say if they would they'd been that experienced recruitment previously what yeah. how would what would be different about working for you compared to perhaps well, there's there's a level of transparency with us that a lot of other people just aren't comfortable 
giving. Um, we are more flexible. So if people say, for example, go, oh, I'm going to, do you mind if I do this? Do you mind if I do that? Typically, I'll take the mic or ask if they're inviting me along because it's not something I don't need to know if someone's going for a doctor's appointment. I don't need to know if someone's going to walk the dog, all that sort of stuff. So little things like that. We have regular calls that are there to just chat, get to know each other, have fun. It's not all work, work, work. We want to keep the feeling part of something element. Um, we support them in anything. Now that's both personally and professionally because I believe, so <clears throat> I believe the lines blur naturally. If you're stressed at work, it, it rubs off on your personal life. If you're stressed at home, it rubs off on your work life. So ignoring the fact that these things are, are fundamentally joined, to me, is unfair. You've got to treat people the way you would wish to be treated. So we try and treat people with, well, exactly that, the way we wish to be treated. So we're always there to be supportive, but celebrate the wins, but supportive when things don't go right. And that's both personally and professionally. So we've invested in some solutions for for sort of people's well-being and coaching and all of that sort of stuff not to make them better recruiters but to make sure they're happy rewarded people because i i kind of see this business as what i want to achieve is making everyone that's part of it have a better life than they had before they joined be that financially or well-being or stress or whatever it might be we want to have a positive impact on those we don't want to be sat there making it worse for people and that's kind of at the forefront of of what we're doing because to me it's the most important bit i, I want to have a positive impact on the world it, it sounds a bit sad but I, I want to make the world a slightly better place than i found it and i don't believe i can do that on a large scale yet so i'm going to try and do it in the small community of people mm. that i'm involved with and, and then grow that and see see what i can do but it's just yeah putting them first at all times is profit is a secondary thing for me is is yeah make get that right and the rest will come yeah and the the difference between how you're set up and perhaps how other companies are as well what's what's that the makeup of that so there'll be ownership of of it i haven't got because we're quite early days so that's not fully sorted but there'll be ownership of it um we don't have a big pyramid there is there is nobody that sits between the consultants and me okay. and i'm going to try and maintain that for as long as physically possible there will always be a, a sort of transparent path to leadership they're all treated like equals there's no hierarchy in that sense we only hire experienced people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we don't have a hierarchy within the business and so everyone is treated the same whether they've got five years experience or 30 years experience so we're just trying to keep it very balanced very even so that everyone is comfortable nobody feels like they're better or worse or above or below someone it's just very it's, it's just more relaxed and more friendly as an environment i don't I think hierarchies have a place, but if you hire the right people, you don't really need to be particularly militant on that. You can you can kind of support people into doing the right things rather than force people into doing yeah. the right things. And I prefer the support version rather than the force okay. version. Okay. So so it's more it's it's a complete mindset shift. Like we we don't have any KPIs other than make some money. Please cost please cost me less than you make me, sort of thing. But outside of that it's we're not sat there going right how many calls have you made how many emails have you sent how many interviews have you arranged because we're hiring people at the point where they know what it takes they they typically come from being very successful in what they're doing so 
they don't need me to come in and teach them how to do their niche. I don't, I don't know about engineering. I don't know about biotech. I don't know about the exec support and HR markets. I'm, I'm a very niche legal recruiter. I'm not going to be able to benefit them in their sectors, but I can help them with mindset and keep them positive and, and help them learn the tricks that I learned to be able to almost weaponize the recruitment of, of, of legal partners was, was my sort of sweet spot. And I, I'm, fairly confident that I'm one of the only recruiters that managed to place. I think my best month was 27 partner level lawyers in one month. Um, and that there aren't going to be many people that have done that, but I didn't do it by working harder than anyone else. It was just constantly critiquing what I was doing and tweaking little bits to make myself more efficient or, or be able to handle more people or whatever it was, just constantly analyzing what I was doing and trying to improve it the whole time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, sorry, my voice is very croaky. I don't know why, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how, how do people, when people start with you, how do they adapt to that new environment? I guess there's not loads of people no, who operate like it's you. It's tough, it is tough. And I describe it a bit like they've all got Stockholm syndrome because they'll all yeah. still call and be like, so I'm going to do this or yeah. I'm going to do that. And so to a degree, making jokes of it is one of the things, it, but just making people realize that they can be themselves and, and we're not going to be sitting there going, oh no, you haven't had an interview in this last 10 minutes, so you're in trouble. It's actually just going, like, what, what do you need from us? Where, what, what can we do to support you? And when you do that over a period of time, people just become more relaxed, but it does take time. Most people joining start off from a position of trying to justify everything they're doing all the time because that's just the behavior that a lot of recruiters are used to so it's sort of tweaking that behavior and, and explaining that they don't need to where if they want to go to the doctors like that's a fundamental human requirement mm -hmm. why do you need my permission to do it you know like that's just to me is a ridiculous concept and mm -hmm. walking the dog like exercise is a good thing like mm -hmm. why ask my permission just go and walk your dog we've got an extraordinarily large number of dogs within our business so <laughs> so there's a lot of dog walking that happens um but yeah it's just it's just being supportive and encouraging rather than sort of militant and enforcing a will and that's a lot of people struggle with that initially but it, it, they get used to it very quick and, and start to come along with the jokes okay uh, when when people do start to say things like that other people will tell them it's spam there's yeah. a lot of spam gifts that go around um, and stuff like that. So it's just, it, it just takes time. But and if you've worked one way for 20 years, you're going to... It's going to take time to adjust, isn't time it? to get used to a different way of working. And you're mainly remote, if not wholly remote. Yeah, so remote first. So we've got an office on Regent Street. Right. Um, but it's, it's really hot desking. Um, so people can go there as and when they like. It's our space, so it's not, yeah. it's not a shared office. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's there for if people want it. We've got a chap who actually texted me this morning saying he, he may start to go in there full time, which is fine. We'll provide whatever people need. But, but yeah, I, I firmly believe in the remote model um, because it's been the world I've worked in for 14 or so years. So it's something that I'm just very comfortable with. So, and I believe it's the future. That's yeah. the truth of it. I don't. And did, did lockdown reinforce that view? Or? I, I think it probably made people think my way because I was already there. I've been placing people who are working from home for a very long time. Um, but I think it just showed the world that it's not a disaster. It's not going to fall apart. Although seemingly the naysayers are coming back now saying you can't 
run remote teams. You can't train people. You can't do this. Yeah. You can't do that, which is nonsense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's every day you see something on online, you know, particularly on LinkedIn about this whole conversation around remote. Should you? Shouldn't you? Yeah. Should it be a blend? Should it be one or the other? Have you have you found any different? And a lot of it comes down to the the type of person, particularly the generation. Yeah. What's what have you experienced with the generation? How people. Are, to it like you've got one guy who's wanting to work in Regent Street yeah, yeah. pretty much full time is that uh, is what's the mix from the guys who are I think are working the majority want to work from home yeah uh, certainly but of course we're attracting like we're openly advertising that that's what we are we talk about a lot so, so you attract so yeah, so our sample of people is a bit wonky yeah. um, because they're going to naturally skew towards us um in truth, our model isn't work from home. Our models work from anywhere. I don't. I genuinely don't care where people are based. It's not even a consideration I have. If somebody wants to be based on a beach in Barbados, go be based on a beach in Barbados. I will be jealous, but I will have no problem with it. Um, so, so for me, I don't like our jobs. Do not require a fixed abode. Have you got a phone? Have you got the internet? Have you got a computer or an iPad? If you have those things, you can do the job of a recruiter. So why not let people do it from anywhere? And so one of our team has just moved back to the Netherlands. Um, she was London-based when we employed her. And she called and said, oh, do you mind if I do it? I was like, why are you even asking me? I'd mm, like, mm. work from where you want. Because you have the life you want. It doesn't, isn't, it doesn't affect me in the slightest. So I, don't, I just don't concern myself with stuff like that. I don't, I don't feel as a business owner I should need to micromanage the geographical location of someone. If they're doing a job and they're doing it well, why does it matter where that where that's based? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've, I have a lot of arguments about that. There's, people seem to come at me on social media about that quite yeah. often, but <laughs> yeah. that's fine. It's always good to have a little scrap occasionally. Yeah. So, so yeah. You had quite a, if you're happy to share, of course, quite a significant occasion in your personal life yeah. which give you focus on or yeah, change yeah. of mindset that's with the what thing you're that doing. triggered the, J the the change in business i was going to so. call it jls yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you won't be the first person that's called it jls either but yeah i'm not nearly that talented um i don't know there's any talent there. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah back 2020 so 2020 for everyone was a was a challenging year and i think it was in many ways quite a bit more challenging my end at least just before covid so birth of second kid theo um and two weeks after that i'm literally putting my in fact i was putting a shirt on believe it or not um even though i'm so anti-shirt now um i was putting a shirt on getting ready to go back into the to, back into the law firm and sort of go say hello to everyone um and with that, my wife woke up and said she felt like she had pressure on her chest and we didn't really think anything of it. We'd had, it was her birthday the day before. So we had gone out for afternoon tea and thought, well, she's probably just indigestion. So she goes and has a shower and sort of came back and said, my arm hurts. And again, didn't think anything of it because my wife is pretty fit. So there's not, there was not sort of any health concerns. Um, called 111, um, just thought, like she's just had a baby she had a c-section so it's sort of you never know if it's a complication or anything um so yeah called them and they said we're sending an ambulance i was like okay that seems right. seems a little dramatic but okay um the ambulance arrived within i think it was six minutes and sort of blue lights and everything going and that was my first sort of inkling that mm. okay clearly is not great um then came straight in 
whacked her on an ECG. Um, and I, I've seen a fair few ECGs in my time. I fainted a load for some unknown reason. I had an, I got an implanted thing as I've seen the lines. Hers look weird. So I'm like, mm, that's not great. And then one of them left and made a phone call. And I was thinking again, don't think it's great news if they go and make a phone call like that, tends to be preparing someone. So off they were stirred to the hospital and it turned out that she was having a heart attack and quite a severe heart attack. And basically from the hormones from the pregnancy that cause everything to relax, to mm. carry more blood, hers had worked too well and had caused the artery that comes out of the heart and splits to, like that mm. to split and, and basically the blood had rushed into the void and filled it and basically collapsed her artery completely. Um, so she had a stent put in for that. And then when she was in recovery after that, it happened again. And, and yeah, that wasn't the most pleasant of times um, yeah. because she was in the theater for about four hours and I was told she was going to die and all of that sort of stuff. So it was, it was about as unpleasant yeah, as, me. as life can be in that moment. And I think, in truth, that's what shifted my focus completely because I was, to a degree, the stereotypical recruiter that everyone thinks recruiters are. I was all about the money and the watches and the cars and having this sort of life around sales. And it, it, literally in the split second, it was like, right, I'm now going to be a single father with two kids, a newborn baby. Mm. What the fuck am I going to do? Like, how how am I going to like get through this? Very fortunately, we live in this country and the the medical world is amazing here our local hospitals are heart trauma center so they were able to put a pump in that was pumping for her heart and she went to the Brompton two weeks after that um or two and a bit weeks nearly three weeks after she came out and it was a miracle like nobody expected that to happen um and her heart's pretty knackered now but but to all intents and purposes we've got a, a normal life which is something I couldn't have imagined was going to happen but because of that in in the moment i was it, it was literally like a light bulb moment i was like why are you such a fucking idiot why do you care about watches why do you care about cars like this is just shit it doesn't matter what matters is family and supporting your family and creating an environment that what if i get hit by a bus tomorrow i learned in that second that life is short like she was 34 and there was like you you never would have spotted that there was ever anything wrong with her um so yeah it was it was a sort of a bit of a eureka moment but that's why putting people first and everything is so important to me because i've been through the ringer she was back in the hospital five or six times that year having more stents she's got five stents now so it was a it, it was pretty trying year but also the, the daft thing is professionally best year i've ever had placed 130 lawyers in that year but I think it's because I threw myself into the work rather than thinking that about personal concern, yeah, yeah I just went and just became a machine and and it wasn't it wasn't healthy it wasn't the way to go I, I, I remember the only I only broke down once and 
it was it, it was the only time I kind of been on my own because there was always sort of my mother-in-law over helping with Theo while I was trying to work and all that sort of stuff. And then there was she. I think I was going to pick up Claudia the following day or something, and um, and my mother-in-law took Theo off and I was on my own. And I, yeah, that was a right. full breakdown. Like couldn't breathe. I was I was yeah. It was pretty bad. And um, and yeah, I. I called fortunately i had access to a, a service that i called and had a chat with them and, and thankfully it was short-lived but it, i think that event has changed my mindset so significantly that that's why i want to make it better but also in my mind i'm like and it's slightly selfish but it, i'm thinking if i don't look after people when they're going through it then what happens if something happens to me how could i possibly expect someone to look after me my family and not just bail and, and jump ship if something were to happen to me, if I wouldn't do the same for them. So it's kind of, that's why my mindset has shifted so much because it's, it's about something bigger than just me and watches now. Okay. It's, it's about looking after my family. My wife can't work now. So I've got to, okay. I've got to sort of build something that survives me if I get hit by a bus or, or whatever. So mm. if I'm going to do that, I might as well do it well and do it nicely. Um, so yeah, bit of a downer but uh yeah. but that's, oh, i'm sorry you went through that the, the thing is as well now uh well as well as she can be yeah, yeah she's got heart failure but um yeah. but yeah it's the drugs are amazing so yeah. she she left with with sort of an ejection fraction so that her heart's ability to pump in the i think it was very early 20s and and there was no expectation that it would ever recover so the outside wall of her heart is dead um now it's late thirties, early forties, and that's all drugs. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're very, very fortunate, but if you asked her to run a marathon or run up, well, in fact, run anywhere, you would know she was ill because that just doesn't happen. But outwardly you would have no, no signs that she's ill. We have a pretty normal life. We mm. just get to park nearer places. Mm. So it has its benefits. You got to look at these things as a positive. <laughs> Every cloud. Yeah, exactly. but that's the thing. I, I think I'm a bit of an eternal optimist. So, yeah. so rather than sit there and go, "Oh, the world's collapsed around us. It's terrible." I, I always try and sort of see a positive out of it. I know that one's a silly one, but uh, but what I mean is, if if that changed my mindset and that then enabled me to have a positive impact on a load of other people, actually, in a sense, it was a good thing. Um, so, so was we'll call it ALS 2.0. Yeah. Was that always the intention? Was it something bubbling away and you just needed almost a reason to do it? Or did the whole occasion of what happened to your wife, did that? A bit of everything. Bit right, of everything. okay. So if if I look at when I first founded ALS with the two guys I founded it with who were, owned the other firm, right. the original plan was we were always going to grow us in something. But the core business became such a monster that it took so much time sure. that, that in reality it was always kind of a, oh, we'll do it next year, we'll do it next year. And then in truth, back to that mindset thing, I was so sort of centred around the money I was making and stuff like that. There's always that sort of selfish thing of, hang on, if I do that, that's going to cost me money. Why don't I just keep it? I can keep feeding lawyers in forever <laughs> and I can earn money forever. And it was sort of we're talking up in the seven figures a month sorry six figures a month six figures a month i wish it was seven figures a month that'd be ridiculous six <laughs> figures a month maths is not my strong point um so it, it was doing very well but again if i got hit by a bus what's it worth and so the the 
spark was what happened to my wife and the year preceding sorry the year that followed that so 2020 having a really good year generated loads of money that money was i was then able to invest in tech hiring people and and in truth i went into it a bit blasé i was like it doesn't really matter if they do anything i'm earning enough like let's just hire a load of people not the right approach turns out you lose a load of money doing that um but that was kind of the mindset i had where it was just like something has to change i just need to do something Mm. but it i was actually when the idea came to me i was so rob had come back into the business when claudia became ill because i just needed an extra pair of hands and he was the first person to be like i'll drop everything and, and come and help so i was on the phone to him waiting outside claudia was having a scan outside the hospital and i was just like so what do you think about the idea of giving people an unlimited paid holiday? What do you think about like flexible working and all this sort of stuff? And we were just talking about it. And then we were looking at sort of looking on websites and seeing if anyone else was doing it. And that's kind of how it was formed of just, okay, we've got the money. Why not? If we don't do it now, we will never do it. And so it's just kind of a right, let's, let's go for it. And went a bit hard the first time and then had to scale back, actually build a foundation because Turns out if you don't have a foundation, it's pretty wobbly. Um, and that's where we are now. So took investment tail end of, of last year. And mm-hmm. that's with a view to scaling sensibly. But I still have lofty aspirations. I'm still looking at sort of 300 plus people within 10 years is, is the plan, which everyone, whenever I say it goes, You're, that's never going to happen. But they forget I've already done it and was told it wasn't yeah. going to happen in a, in a way more difficult market because heavily regulated risk averse candidate base all that sort of stuff so i'm quietly confident we'll we'll get there but but yeah i I like proving naysayers wrong so so what what does that what does that future look like for you so i want to sell is the truth not anytime soon let's say in 10 years time is i'm only saying in 10 years time so it's got a something but it doesn't matter when but I want to be in a position where I can enjoy the latter part of my life in a very comfortable manner mm-hmm. and spend time with my kids when they're not in their thirties, sort of when they're still roughly at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, just be a present father, but I want to do that because I do still in the back of my mind have those shiny things that I want. So I've, so I've got to, I've got to grow into a fairly valuable lump at, at that point. Um, but yeah, the, the, the future will be me flogging it. If you look way there, way further on, but short term, short term goal, build the consultant base in the UK, build all the infrastructure around it to keep that stable thing going. And then, launch in the states um, okay. because things like unlimited holiday and flexible working and stuff like that is quite desirable in an environment where there's basically no holiday and not a great deal of flexibility so so yeah we'll be going over there in in time um and that's when i think it will probably balloon but yeah i want to do it at a point where we've got a story of something interesting that's happened here at the moment i would i would say we're we're not an experimental stage because I've done the experiment elsewhere, but but we're at a we're at very early stages. I want to do it at a point where we've kind of grown it something pretty decent here, and then go over there and repeat. Mm-hmm. But I did I did a test ad talking about what we're about in the states after the show. I just thought 
let's give it a go when I was sat in the hotel room between the days. And within four hours, we'd had over 2,000 applications in America to join us. Wow. And that was making it clear you need to have a client base. You need to, but, but here's what we will offer. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was pretty yeah. mad. I, I was not able to filter through the applications as quick as they were coming in. So it, it's given me, a, again, a bit of confidence that at the point we move over there, it's it's going to be quite interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm uh, although I want to make a lot of money out of it, I'm also not greedy so a big chunk of my ownership will go into the staff share pot so i want to everyone that's helped me along the way i want it to be life-changing for them as well because i hate those shows which you watch and sort of someone's worked for someone for 20 years they sell the business and they're like have a first class flight anyway like <laughs> well you've just got like 500 million and you're giving someone the equivalent of 20 grand and like yeah. well done you're such a nice human for me it's like i want every, if i'm paying off my mortgage i want it a lot of other people to be in that same position so yeah that's why i need it to be worth a lot of money because otherwise i won't be able to do that and mm. i won't have hit that goal of changing it changing people's lives which again i know starts to sound more and more hippie the more i say it but mm. it's, it's important to me mm-hmm. i can't tell you why that's a stupid thing i can't tell you why it's important it was just that light bulb moment and that's now my focus um, yeah. And that US expansion that you've mentioned, we, we, we see a lot of companies that we speak to who are established in the UK and they're either looking to go east or more often than not looking to go to go west across the Atlantic. Um, do you think there's a ripe market out there? So for me, it's so I'm not, we look at recruitment in a slightly different way to a lot of other recruitment businesses so i don't hire based on sector so i'm not looking to be the biggest or best legal recruitment business or the biggest or best finance recruitment business i'm looking to be the best home for talented recruiters so the only thing i need to concern myself with is are there talented recruiters who have the ability to port clients and are they interested in what we want to do and if those two answers are yes sectors and stuff like that i, I in truth, don't concern myself with, with exceptions. I, I never want to be in high volume, low fees. That's not that's not me. Um, I just see it as too much work for not enough win. But but as long as we stay the sort of decent fee end of recruitment, I don't really mind what people do. So hence, if you look at ALS, we've we've got a very varied base across the fourteen fifteen people. Mm. There's a very varied sort of niche skill set but all of them are very good in what they do so as soon as they join us by virtue of that we are very good in the thing that they do so it's almost like we're building boutiques within the business rather than just going right i need to be the best finance i need to be the best this i need to be the best that and the 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 sort of naysayers will go yeah but surely there's a critical mass you can get into all these things and the answer is yes but way beyond where I ever want this business to be because there are legal recruitment businesses with hundreds of people. There's finance recruitment businesses with hundreds of people in, in each of those niches. We're looking at the whole country, well, not even the whole country, theoretically the whole world, but but for the moment, the UK. Mm-hmm. Well, how many recruitment businesses are there in the UK? How many recruiters are there in the UK? Shed loads. Mm-hmm. We, only, we don't need many of them. That's the thing. So, And are there good ones there? Well, I'm speaking to to new good recruiters every day who are 
potentially interested in in joining so yeah i think to get to a, a few hundred isn't we're not even gonna be scratching the surface of what's possible um and yeah that's so but it's the same with law it's exactly the same thing how could you have two conveyances in one town turns out there's probably 70 in that town so two aren't really going to impact each other if anything they're going to help each other because it's a it's now a team going to a pitch rather than one person sure so so yeah again it's a world that i've navigated previously Before, so. yeah yeah you're um you're very active on linkedin and i get a lot of engagement from it yeah and we've had a conversation about the the content and how you get it out there and make sure it's regular Tell us a bit more about how how you make that happen. And yeah, so it, as as I mentioned in our when we first met properly, a lot of it is around experimentation. So we just I'm not afraid to try anything. I I don't I've never been fearful of oh no someone's going to hate me for that if someone hates me okay it's it's happened. So we just at the beginning we were just throwing a lot of random stuff out and just monitoring what worked and then tweaking and repeating we've got a bit more sophisticated than that now um so now we will to create a bank of content we'll have hence i was mentioning the studio we would we would film a load of content where charlotte who works with me will just come to me with loads of questions talking subjects whatever it might be and we'll just run through and just record all of it and just it could be an hour could be a day could be 10 minutes and then that gives us a bank of stuff and look, most of it's going to be complete nonsense and rubbish but within that there's always some snippets of posts or, or whatever and then we we take that and we turn that into into something and and we're just doing that on a fairly industrial scale um but I, to be honest i i need support on it because as i mentioned to you, i'm very heavily dyslexic so for me the written english language is not is not my friend so um so yeah that's where charlotte comes in and interprets my garbled nonsense into something that's palatable for someone to read and look at and but hence also wanting to record stuff because i'm a lot better at talking than i am at writing so okay so sort of balance that out but yeah the plan is to keep to keep growing i think we're growing at about 1500 to 2000 new followers on on linkedin a month now which a lot of recruitment businesses are getting about 50 to 100 a month so it's it's going the right way but i think we've only scratched the surface of it like we're only re we've only until recently just been doing linkedin nothing else so we're now going across more platforms and starting to there's sort of strategies in place to grow us on in in other environments because yeah. it also helps that i come out with weird shit quite a lot so it, it, it people engage with the with stuff that's kind of slightly anti what other people are saying or, or being just quite direct about themes that other owners of, mm. of businesses aren't happy to talk about. Mm. So, because again, I just, I don't really care if people like me or hate me or, or whatever, as long as, if, if what I say has helped one or two people, I'm, I'm happy with, with that. It's, yeah. And are you, are you pushing the content on LinkedIn? What, is there, a, is there, I guess, a, a reason behind what you're using it for? Is it to build the ALS brand? Yeah. Is it to give something back to, you know, those 1500 Everything. followers that you... Yeah, so it's, yes, giving stuff back. And and the nice thing about LinkedIn is as, as your following gets bigger and stuff gets more engaged with, more and more people see it. So it's sort of mushrooms, um, which is which is handy as an algorithm. But but yeah, it's, it's helping people out 
showing people that there is a better way, hopefully irritating some business owners enough into not treating their staff like idiots and actually being nice to people because being nice doesn't hurt. Um, but also just ALS at a certain point has to stand on its own. For me to be able to sell it, it can't revolve around me. Um, so there is, again, a strategy of sort of me helping it build its presence, but then at a certain point, it not being me, being the talking head of ALS, and yeah. actually it will have its own personality. Okay. Um, so the plan is to kind of head in that direction. If you, like a good example of that is someone like Richard Branson, who any new Virgin company that's launched, all about him doing interviews and everything's him, him, him. And then very quickly, over sort of three, four years, he moves away from it. And now suddenly it's, the company is doing this and the press release is all about that. So that's that's the way it will go. But I'm not naive as, as nobody's interested in what a random small company is up to without there being a personality behind it. Like companies inherently are not exciting. Like we're like, even if you take what we're doing, we're just saying, let's do recruitment, but just be nicer to people like that. If you, if you cut through all the other stuff, we're just saying, just be nicer and a bit more rewarding, like, like treat people a bit better and give them a bit more like that's not life changing. I'm not going to win the Nobel peace prize for it is, is you're talking about a small, a small shift. Um, so yeah, it's ALS has to become interesting in its own right. And, and, rapid growth and all of that sort of stuff will will achieve that and investment and all of those things and expansion into other things will will start to achieve that in time but i'm not naive we are a minnow in a very big pond at the moment and so so yeah and we've i've got to work to change that sure so yeah but i mean it's refreshing to hear that you are doing something different particularly with how you're um bringing people on and the, the mindset and the trust and the transparency. Do you, do you find that the guys who do join you, are they buying into that? Sometimes, not all the time. Not all the time. We have had, we have had some pretty interesting characters join who are taking advantage of the flexibility and all of those sorts of things. So, so that, but on balance, more people see it as a positive than the people who are taking advantage. Yeah. But then I would argue that's the same in any world, isn't it? You've always got the people that are going to take the mic. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely believe that we have something different about us. And I do genuinely believe that in time, the world will see that as the way things are going is, is happening in other worlds already. Like, so take, I'll use the example of law because that's my niche. When I started recruiting in that world, lawyers would tell me that this can't be true. It's not real. Like things don't work like that. Now you've got the legal press saying that they reckon a third to two thirds of lawyers within the next 10 years will be working the way I've specialized in for 14 years. So there's a natural curve where people's views of what's important change because uh, businesses are always sat there going, making money. That's the most important. But COVID has changed that. Now people are like, okay, we now need to look after our staff. Mm-hmm. We now need to actually consider well-being in a way that never was. Admittedly, a lot of people are still pretty bad at that. But but it's the mindset is shifting and the, the talent pool's mindset is shifting. If you stick up an ad now, if you stuck up an ad three years ago, if you were interviewing someone, it would all be very... Right, what can you do for me? What can you do yeah. for me? What can you do One for me? Yeah. Whereas now, it's just as much about the 
candidate interviewing you as it is the other way around because they want to know that you align with their values or you have that flexibility or whatever it might be whatever those important bits are and that shift isn't going anywhere it doesn't matter how much business owners sit there and go people should be grateful to work for us that's that's dead that's not that's not the world anymore the world is if you're crap you will lose people if you're nice to people good give people a good environment you won't simple as that and it's always been true it's just the employees now are far more aware of that than they ever were. And again, how's that going to disappear? Like, people aren't going to suddenly go, yeah, no, I'm happy to be treated badly now. That Once once you've decided you're putting yourself first, you're not going to suddenly change and revert back. So, yeah, it's why I love it when I see people calling everyone into the office and stuff like that, because I can guarantee you who are the first people I get on the phone to when a big company goes, oh, everyone now back to the office. I can guarantee you I will be speaking to your your recruiter saying, do you want to go back to the office or do you want a bit more flexibility? So, yeah, I might be nice about what I want to achieve with my business, but I'm still a capitalist at the end of the day. If I see an opportunity, I'm going to take it. Um, and, and because of that, I'm, uh, I'm in active conversations with a lot of recruiters from very big recruitment businesses who are sat there going, I don't want to be in the office, actually. I've, I've just proved for the last two, three years mm-hmm. that I've smashed my targets but also I've been able to take my kids to school or whatever it might be, whatever that important thing is for them. That's just been taken away from me and I'm not happy about that. So like, yeah, long may everyone continue to put the, the business before everything else. To me, it's everything is about balance. Uh, when I'm talking to the team, it's constantly about balance. Even down to our, our financial modeling, it's all about balance. People can choose their salary with us. So when they join us, they tell us what salary they want. And as long as they can justify it, we go, cool. There's no, oh, you've got eight years experience, so you get paid this or anything like that. It's, okay, if you are paid that, that is what the financial, that's what the financials look like. Is that what you want? And some people go, actually, no, I prefer to take a bit less because then they'll earn a bit more. Or some people go, no, I need that. And it doesn't matter whether that number's 75 grand or 20 grand. They they can decide. It's, it's about creating an environment that they feel part of it it's a joint thing it's more like a joint venture in that sense it's not this is what i'll pay you because this is what you're worth i don't really agree with that as an approach that said i have said no to people because i don't think the maths works but that's not that's just we have a model it's got to fit within it but Mm. but yeah I, i just i want people to have a choice throughout their process with us and um and yeah again i don't see that hugely in the market um so yeah, but loads of rectorics hate me for that reason. So because often their candidates will come and go. So if I take that much less, <laughs> I'll earn that much more. It's like, yep. I had someone recently who seventy five k. The difference between basically earning seventy five k and thirty k with their level of billing thirty eight thousand pounds more to them if they took thirty k than seventy five k. Was that? Yeah. So it's big old chunk of money yeah um and yeah they i'll give you a clue what number they said they wanted to go for because they were like i'll take that extra 30 30 mm. i think it's like 38 and a half thousand i was like okay no worries a bit counterintuitive because actually really it'd be better if i paid them more and i'll get to keep more but it is what it is so <laughs> so over those 14 years that you've been working in recruitment what changes have you seen it, well, the, the, most of it is pretty recent, to be honest. So it, 
the guy I learned recruitment off of had started his recruitment agency in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And when I was looking around and speaking to colleagues, conceptually how he was working is very similar to how they were still working. Okay, the roller decks had changed for a CRM or ATS. But conceptually, it was all very similar. I think the biggest shift has been in the more recent times with more flexibility. The other thing that I've, we all saw in the market was a more sort of, I describe it as factory model. So more get a resource or get an account manager, get a BD person and, and that approach. And that did very well for, for a few years where there were so many roles that you could almost just throw candidate CVs out and you're going to make a placement. Of course, now what's starting to shift is starting to head back to more, oh, no, we need you to do BD, we need you to do this, we need you to do that. So it's almost, it moved away from the 360 model and is now seemingly creeping towards the 360 model, which, again, a lot of people argue with me about that as well. But but for me, I've always been of the view that recruitment is a, is a full piece. You go find your client, you find your candidate, you put them together, you make your money. And, and that was always the part I enjoyed. So that's why we're concentrating on the 360 model, because to me, there was just always a greater level of satisfaction knowing that I'd done it cradle to grave, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the financial rewards are better if you don't have to share your commission or mm-hmm. fees with three other people, two mm-hmm. other people, five other people, whatever. So yeah, I think, I, I think we will go through an interesting time. The market is reset. We were talking about watches. It's the same with watches, cars. Everything boomed because post-COVID frustrations and the world is back. We all do the things that we should have done in the preceding years. That slowed down now. That's seemingly calmed down. There has been a bit of a softening in the market, which has caused a lot of people to seemingly to panic. But I don't understand why, because it's not softened to a point that it's non-existent. All it's done is it's just kind of gone back to where it, it was before the boom. It's not It's not collapsed by any stretch of the imagination. It's just calmed down to a sensible level. Um, and I think leveraged businesses are going to struggle if you've got a thousand resources just throwing things, throwing mm-hmm. CVs. Okay, that those businesses aren't going to probably last that well. And, and the TA market, of course, is, well, you only have to go on LinkedIn and you see the tech businesses letting go of tons of people. Yeah. But, it's because everyone's just calmed it down a bit. And when you calm something down, you don't need thousands of people filling roles. And do you think that'll that'll continue for the foreseeable? I think short term, yeah. It's, it, but it's always been a bit like that. Yeah. If, if if you look at any of the trends, it's always been, sac- like, let's use internal talent because it's the most extreme example. Higher loads, we're super busy, we're going to grow. Okay, we've grown now, sack them all. Oh, crap, we need to grow again, hire them all. It's, it's, it's always been like that. And if you speak to any recruitment commentators that have been in it a lot longer than me, that they've been there, done it, got the T-shirt and seen this happen a thousand times. And they're just like, yeah, they'll all regret it. Give it a year. They'll suddenly get more funding because the world looks rosier and everyone stops talking about recessions or whatever. And then, oh, we need to hire all those people again. And it's just the world always bubbles along. Yeah. We, we get a lot of people listening or engaging with the content that we've previously pushed out who are not necessarily just get not necessarily considering recruitment but just getting into it so if you were if i was sitting here today and yeah, saying yeah. okay i want to get into it you know um what what sort of considerations would you ha- 
would you well, advise for, for those people who are looking at recruitment? I, I did some career? posts on it. So my belief is learn a trade and stick to it, like like any other facet of life. What I'm finding with CVs is I, I will regularly see people that have worked in recruitment for three, four, five years, and in that time have had nine, 10, 11 jobs. Yeah. They literally just bounce, bounce, bounce. If you don't stay doing anything for any period of time, it's very difficult to learn to do it particularly effectively. And so I'm a, I'm a sort of big sort of evangelist for saying, look, work in something. If you want to find something you like, if you like tech, go work in tech. Mm. I would say if you like maths, but no one likes maths. Um, but, but sort of if you have an interest in, in money in the world of finance, go work in finance. If, if you've got an interest in arguments, go work in law. Like there's, there's find something you're passionate about or that you enjoy. Try a few things, find something you enjoy, but then stick at it. Mm. Learn your trade, learn what your client wants, learn what your candidate wants, learn what the market's up to. Because to me, that's the only path to glory, the only path to doing big amounts of money. There's thousands of recruiters out there who will say they've had a good year if they've done 70, 80, 90 grand. But for me, I'm like, a good year, if you're doing well, anyone could bill hundreds. It's, it's not with outside of the realms of possibility for anyone to do that. But you're not going to do that by pissing in the wind. You're going to do that by learning a trade, learning your area, learning what you enjoy and being passionate about it. And then the rewards will come because you'll be, well, you'll be able to talk to your candidates and they'll actually believe you give a shit. Clients the same. And after a while, if you do it long enough, people will know you do it and will come to you. Of course, right? of course. If, if I look at the lawyers I place now, most of them are lawyers that maybe I spoke to nine years ago, mm. but actually I took the time to have a proper chat with them, explained how these things work. And suddenly when they're now considering the thing I specialize in, they give me a call and go, right. I know we spoke this in truth. It helps. That I'm called a dick. So it makes it slightly easier to remember <laughs> like a recruiter called John Smith is going to be slightly more difficult to remember than a bloke called a dick. And the, the worst thing is my mum doesn't drink. So there's not even an excuse for it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, that has in truth helped a stupid name. My wife, when we got married, she's like, I'm not going to be called Claudia Dick. Like that's just simply not happening. Um, and, and yeah, we called our daughter Lily, which again, Lil Dick, not, not a good combo. So, so it's pretty bad. So, um, so yeah, we've got a, but yeah, it's, it's, I, she's tried to get me to change it. I'm like, nah, professionally I'm keeping it because although yes, it, it, there is still the occasional piss taking out of it. If people remember it, that's that's a big battle in recruitment. There's thousands of people picking up the phone to HR managers the whole time. Yeah. If you've got a stupid name, actually, you tend to be remembered a little bit. So if people, you're saying that people need to, or you recommend that people should hang around, learn the trade craft, become good at it, yeah. get a, kind of get a good reputation in the industry for being good at their yeah. job. Um, I think though with the, and stats have shown this, that younger generation see loyalty staying at a company seven, eight months and yeah, think, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm loyal, I can move on now. Yep. But you're not really learning your trade no. craft necessarily in that period, particularly building up clients and and, and, that's, and that's the problem. And if and again, if you look at that generation of recruiter, when I get an application from them, often they'll want a delivery role. They won't want anything with BD focus because all they've ever known is going in somewhere. Why do you think people just shy away from BD? 
I don't know. It's, it's, the, same, it's, it's the same in tech as well. Yeah, yeah probably rejection. Not necessarily you've like got, BD rules. You've got, to, you've got to deal with a lot more rejection if you're doing BD because most people are going to tell you to piss off. So I, I guess that side of it, and maybe they consider the pressure to be more. Like a lot of the conversations I have is, is they believe that the pressure will be greater because they've got two jobs effectively as they see it. But my argument is that the pressure is arguably less because you have complete control over it. You're not waiting for somebody else to do something. And if they don't, the pressure's doubly yeah, yeah, on you yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. sat there twiddling your thumbs. So for me, it's security. If you if you can build relationships and then with both sides, candidates and clients, then you're set for life. But if you don't have that skill set, you're, you're easy to get rid of. And, and what's happening now? People that don't have those skills are being let go. And that's, it's a shame, but unfortunately mm. it's predictable. Mm. If you've got to make yourself as valuable as possible to an entity, especially a cutthroat entity. And let's be honest, most recruitment businesses are pretty cutthroat. Mm. So if you're not going to take the time to skill yourself up for the your chosen career, then unfortunately it's unlikely that your career is ever going to go to the lofty heights you may wish it to. But let's be honest, most people don't have aspirations of wanting super yachts and stuff like that. Most people just want to live a, a comfortable, happy life. And so and let's not begrudge that. Like, I often sit there thinking it'd be so much easier if, if I didn't have that and I could just sit there and, and be happy with where I'm at. It's just unfortunately not in my makeup. Mm. Just, but that comes with a hell of a lot of stress. And so mm-hmm. I then have to sort of make sure I've got coping mechanisms and all of that sort of stuff in place to deal with that. So I get it. But again, if everyone was wanting to create a business and if everyone wanted to be millionaires, the world would actually collapse. Yeah. So we need people that, that, that want to sort of just go through doing a job rather than wanting to take over the world. And, and that's great. But yeah, we, my business doesn't attract very many people that, fall into that category um the second to be honest most interviews when i've got people applying i try and speak to everyone who who could be suitable and most people i can work out within about between one and three minutes whether it's going to work or not Mm. because i just bring up that point of what are your thoughts on bd and basically, if I get the answer, it's somebody else's job. I'm like, we're probably not a good mm, fit. Like, mm. it's it's we are a terrible choice because mm. we are we are a good option for a few people. We are a terrible option for most people. Yeah. So, and again, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Mm. If if somebody wants to do BD and wants to see a greater reward for it, then great. But if mm. if you don't, do not join us. It'd mm. be horrible for all of us. Mm. You said those coping mechanisms from. The stresses of running your, your own business. Yeah. What are they? Well, there's it's all sorts, to be honest. Time away, time with the kids. So even down to stupid stuff like I, our morning call every morning, which is just we talk, well, you've spoken to me, you know the random rubbish I come out with. Um, they're kind of around that. I don't think it's random rubbish. But there, yeah. there is some random <laughs> rubbish. Why you're here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's things like I will always take my daughter to school and I will always pick her up. Just stupid stuff like that that just gives me. 15 minutes. I say stupid. It's actually arguably the most important part of my day. I, I love it. Um, but yeah, going and doing that, like being able to, if my son comes running into the room, actually being able to just engage with him because he's, he's three. So engage with him, play around. And, and that the one benefit of being the owner of a business is if I'm on a call with 
15 people and he walks in and sits on my lap nobody's probably going to raise that as an issue yeah so it, it yeah. that that's helpful in itself but but also i've, I've talked to people i've i've had support on that front because again with what i went through i don't think i probably could have functioned as a human being without some form of additional support from people who are good at that stuff mm -hmm. um so so yeah having having that and, and sort of creating coping strategies around the stresses because if you take als for example there have been times where we've had shitloads of money and there have been times where i'm literally sitting there going i don't even know how i'm going to pay that bill like what what is like where has this gone wrong mainly in truth when i said i had that false start of hiring a load of people yeah without the fundamentals without the yeah, fundamentals yeah. you can hire some people who don't have the requisite skill set to work in the environment that we're in and at the time we were trying to oversell what we were doing rather than attract the right people um but yeah just the psychological supports the, the big one for me i've i've I'm at a place now where I, I don't have a huge amount of that now because over the years I've, I've it's helped me build sure. coping mechanisms and and to be honest I've just got to a point where I'm only stressed about the stuff I can control so if it's something that's outside of my control I don't really give it much consideration I'll just try and work out a way to deal with the situation but I won't get stressed out about it mm -hmm. which in truth helps with dealing with the ebbs and flows of recruitment because if a massive placement suddenly falls out for whatever reason rather than going ah about it like, well, let's just try and refill it like let's, let's and it, it helps them because of course when i'm then dealing with with the team and and they're sat there going oh my god this has just happened i'm like don't worry about it like this is the game we're in unfortunately mm -hmm. let's let's just salvage it or find somebody else or whatever so it's always just positive steps forward rather than dwelling on the crap life throws enough crap at all of us so absolutely so yeah where do you think the biggest challenge will come perhaps in the well in the recruitment world but for for your own company in the foreseeable i think it's, it's always going to be a talent attraction and retaining for us um i think once we've got people they, they tend to hang about if they if it's working um but getting the right people and, and whittling out those people who are doing it for the wrong reasons and i mean like we've we've genuinely had fraudsters we've had people who've joined us who also have loads of other jobs and had no intention for working well to work with us they were just trying to take an extra salary we've had we had a guy who would not turn his camera on on any video calls and was literally just sitting there drinking cider eating yesterday's curry playing xbox and accidentally <laughs> turned his camera on one time so we we've, we had we, we had a really toxic guy who fortunately got arrested with a million pounds worth of cocaine shortly after rage quitting so that was a that was a good day karma at its finest um so we've had yeah we've had some interesting characters who've because inherently i've always tried to believe the best in people so if i've had someone who's sort of bounced about a bit but looks like they're talented and i've sat there and i'm like hang on a minute maybe it's just they've been in the wrong environment maybe they need an environment like ours what i've realized is actually no sometimes they're just an asshole and actually right. they're just not pleasant people and, and yeah we've we've had a fair amount of that as well so it's, it's we need to we are getting better at and need to get better at filtering and and that side of things and keeping making sure it doesn't become a toxic environment because again 
environment's key. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to keep it positive and keep it friendly and make sure we're attracting people that want to be part of this sort of environment because they want that freedom and flexibility for a positive reason, not because they just want to take the mic and play Xbox all day. Yeah. We've covered a lot of interesting ground there. For people who are listening in and wanting to know as the top tips for start up and scaling you know about the people the processes the tech yeah. you said that you got the fundamentals wrong yeah initially what would you be what would those top tips be for people who are considering going through a similar journey as to, to yeah. what you did so learn your trade on somebody else's money so that's the like build your relationships do all that on somebody else's money i know it sounds terrible but it is what it is um then at the point you want to shift and do your own thing, tech stack, everyone talks about it. I thought it was nonsense. I was wrong. You need systems that are easy to use. You need providers that are helpful and actually want to see you succeed rather than you're just a number to them, stuff like that. It sounds like it's not important, but something as stupid as let's go back to the old school world because it's an easier analogy to use. If you go and buy a photocopier and you need it in that moment to do 500 sheets a day, but you know you're going to need it to do 50,000 sheets a day within six months, if you buy one that can only do 1,000 sheets a day, you're stuffed. So it's, it's conceptually the same with tech. You need something that is scalable but works as a business but with providers that will support you as you grow. Our first software package, which I won't mention but a very big provider we bought it at a point where there were two of us we're then at a point where there's 15 of us mm -hmm. and i'm saying what you taught us then is of no use to us now we need a bit more support and the answer was no mm -hmm. you get your support when you buy it it's like mm -hmm. how, how can that possibly help going forward so at the planning stage what i would be doing if i have my time again would be properly doing a deep dive and asking questions about you, right? You've got your plan, you know what you want to do, how you want to do it, right? Every provider you go to, tell them that plan. They might think you're an idiot. Most people I speak to think I'm an idiot. When I say I'm going to be at 350 people in 10 years, I know in the back of everyone's minds, they're going, you wish. Well, I'd prefer to deal with it now. And if I do get there, great. And if I don't, well, they haven't lost anything. But I don't want that hassle. And I've had it with most providers over the mm. last few years where just stuff doesn't work. And they go, oh, no, that's your problem. That's your problem. And it's like, no, no, I want someone constructive. Because when you're building a business for a large period of that time, it, the annoyance is going to rest with you as the owner. So the buck stops with you for everything. So you need to make sure that, and this is where I got it wrong, you need to make sure that processes are right, tech is right and arguably the tech's the most important one because if you get your tech wrong recruiters aren't going to use it yeah so you're then going to have a battle to get it even used yeah. so and that's a that is a minefield in itself so once you've got that and you've got your plan build that layer first it's expensive you've got to pay money before you're bringing people on to use it but if you don't do it that way and you try and do that retrospectively that's the mistake I made. It's a complete mess. You end up just chasing your tail. You're doing loads of things wrong. It, it trips you up. Um, 
and then you've got to start again. So, and that's a very costly path because for a while, for example, I had two um, CRM and ATS systems running okay. concurrently because the, the first one was so bad that I couldn't continue using it. And it wasn't necessarily that the system was bad, but the support was bad. We couldn't make it to all the things we needed it to do. So then I'm running a, a an alternative one at the same time. So now I'm paying for two systems. Well, that's not great for your bank balance. Mm -hmm. So getting that stuff right early is important, especially if you want to scale exponentially, because a problem that's a problem with three people is going to be not times by 10 when you're at 30, it's going to be times by 50, because so much more data will be going in if it's a system or the phone system will be being used so much more if it keeps having downtime with well, that yeah, money you're yeah. losing potentially. So it's just silly little things that, again, I didn't really care about that stuff when I first started out. It's more like, I just need a load of people. All of that stuff was actually more important <laughs> than all of the other stuff because I had a system that no one was using because it was so bloody difficult to use. Well, how can I expect people to make money if if everything I'm doing is basically just tying a chain around them and lobbing an anchor behind them? It's just so so that bit is hugely important, and then a strategy around what you are and what you're not, and be very true to that thing you are and you're not. So, to give yourself the best chance of attracting the right people. So, as an example, now when I'm interviewing people, I'm actually trying to put them off, not encourage them to join. Historically, it was encourage them to join and basically sell them mm. a dream. Now it's here are all the negatives of working with us. Mm. What are your thoughts on those? That's the starting point. And if they go, yeah, actually, I'm still really interested, then, of course, you start cool. giving them the other side. But there's no point in selling the wrong person the dream because, again, the cost of bringing people on that end up not doing well is is huge. Mm. Is It's, yeah, disastrously huge in some cases. Um, and then as part of the strategy, if you want to scale quickly, there is going to be a point where you're likely to need somebody else's money. Because if you are growing exponentially, every person you take on is not going to build day one. So if you're taking on more and more people, your salary burden's going up, your license burden's going up, everything's going up, but the coffers aren't being refilled quick enough. Mm. Now, if you're growing slowly, it doesn't matter. But if you're growing quickly, mm. you will reach a point where you'll be taking on more people than you can afford to take on. And that's the that's the other thing. But other than that, just commit to your path and go for it. Okay. So those three things that invest in the right tech, have the relationship with the provider, have a clear strategy of what you are and what you're not. And cash investment. Cash is king. Perfect. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. So cash, sales, cash. Yeah. <laughs> Always <laughs> cash. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much for uh, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, genuinely. Thanks, man. Cheers, Alex.